0: Zo grew up with a secret, a secret she had from a very young age. It, it was about a thing that happened to her that just felt too big to tell other people. And as she got older, she'd let the secret out, a little bit at a time. She'd confide in one person, then another. Still, it, it felt like a secret, it was hers, and, and she got to decide who knew about it. Then in her forties, Zoe decided to make her secret not secret anymore. She wrote a book about it. Zoe Zolbrod's memoir is called The Telling. It is heartbreaking. It is beautiful. And it is about one of the hardest things to talk about. Sexual abuse. Child sexual abuse. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. And if you're thinking, uh-oh, this show is going to be a rough one. Like, pedophilia, it's, it's not a thing that I want to hear about. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And actually, Zoe is with you, too. She gets it. But more children than we would like to think are sexually abused. About one in 10 children is sexually abused before they turn 18. One in 10, that that is a lot. And this is just the estimated rate. It's impossible to know exactly how much this happens because, of course, not all cases get reported. We're telling Zoe's story today because I believe that stories like hers will help the people for whom this has happened, and and it'll help parents to figure out how to handle it if it happens to their kids. And also, hopefully, maybe it'll help it to happen less often. Quick warning, there is a brief description of what happened to Zoe in the first few minutes of this interview. But after that, we spend most of our time unpacking what impact this trauma has had on Zoe's life since then, and, and how talking about it has shaped how she sees herself as a daughter and as a mother. Zoe grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Her dad was a professor at the local college. He taught Navajo culture. Her mom stayed home when Zoe and her younger brother were small. She'd buy them boxes of books at garage sales, let them make messy art projects in the house. Zoe also had an older cousin. In her book, she calls him Toshi. To protect her family members, Zoe used pseudonyms for everybody. So this cousin, Toshi, his dad would hit him. His mom wasn't in the picture. Toshi's dad later married Toshi's babysitter. Zo so Zoe had heard she was mean to him too, kind of like a stereotypical wicked stepmother, always yelling, forcing him to do lots of housework. Toshi ran away from home a few times. Toshi's dad and stepmom couldn't handle it. They, they were threatening to send him to live in an institution, like a, a state-run place for delinquent kids. So Zoe's parents took Toshi in. They wanted to give him some stability. They built a room for him in their basement, put in 70s orange carpeting, A humidifier.
1: Soon after he moved in with us, he started, he was about 16 at the time.
0: He was 16. Zoe was four.
1: He started coming into my room at night, but it went from just touching my genitals and progressed from there over the course of about a year to to some degree of oral sex and um, wanting me to touch his genitals. And how were you processing
0: this when you were four? I
1: didn't. I didn't have a lot of. Um, I didn't have a lot of equipment to do so. I knew nothing about sex. I don't think I knew the name of my genitals. I don't. I don't know that I'd ever heard the word penis. Um, you know, I was very young, so it, it was muddy and confusing. I think confusion was the biggest thing I felt most of the time. Um, I didn't always like what was happening. And as I talk about in the book, sometimes I did express some resistance to certain ways he wanted to touch me or certain things he wanted to do. Um, never like kicking him out entirely, but when he would when he would come to my room at night, you know, we would sort of negotiate what he was gonna do to me or was doing to me.
0: Zoe's childhood home was small. She and her brother shared a room. He was just two at the time, so he remembers none of this. Right outside that bedroom door were the stairs to the basement, the stairs that Toshi would climb to get to Zoe. And then right down the hall was her parents' room. And they they didn't seem to know what was going on. They didn't ask Zoe any leading questions, didn't check on her at night.
1: I have never doubted that my parents turned an eye to something that in the back of their mind they might have thought was happening. I've, I've never doubted that.
0: Um, like would would Toshi wait until your parents were asleep to sneak into your room? Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess I don't know because I was in my bedroom sometimes. I, yeah, I think it to me it was like late at night. I I do know the worst times were when they went out. I do know that. I remember that, making that connection. But yet I never like cried or said don't go. Like my kids, my my daughter says to me all the time. You know, I. F- What I sense of myself from that age is I was just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk about how uh, this experience
0: impacted your life as a preschooler. So I'd like to have you read a passage from your book. Um, If you can open the book to page 62. Okay. I'm going to have you start at the very bottom, uh, starting with In Preschool, My Best Friend.
1: All right. In preschool, my best friend was a boy. We devised elaborate SM-themed fantasies involving our teachers, especially the prettiest one. Already, I'd intuited that the prettiest one is whom the story will happen to. In our imaginings, we imprisoned, humiliated, and tortured this teacher in every way we could conceive of. Sometimes she played along, sitting on a child-sized chair and pretending to cry while we piled the cardboard bricks around her.
0: The teacher was totally unaware of where this game was coming from.
1: We invented this game around the time my own abuse began, during my last year of preschool before kindergarten. But I can't be sure exactly which game came first, the one Toshi devised or the one I did.
0: At the time, did you know what Toshi was doing was wrong?
1: I had a glimmer because I began to perceive that he didn't want anyone to You know, that he was sneaking into my room. Um, and he, had to, he told me not to tell anyone. He told me it was a secret game. Toshi would run away from Zoe's home, too. He
0: got arrested for shoplifting. About a year after moving in with Zoe's family, he got sent to a juvenile institution. He later enrolled in college, actually the school where Zoe's father taught. Then he dropped out and he joined the Navy. Then he left the Navy and went back to that same college. Zoe would see him when he was back in town, but he never touched her again, and they never talked about it. It took Zoe years to even figure out what exactly had happened to her. Sex ed at her school was minimal. She can't remember anyone teaching her about sexual abuse. Nobody warned kids to tell a grown-up if someone touched you where they shouldn't. Do you remember the first time that you could put a label on it, like that, that you learned the word molested and that you could put a word on it?
1: I think it was around 12 when I started reading about sex. You know, I was hitting puberty. I was really interested. My friends were becoming sexually active in some cases at a young age. And um, and I was just really into smutty reading material. And that's around the time a light bulb went off for me. And I was like, oh, that's what happened to me. Um, it was a relief in a way to have a way to classify it. Was like once I figured out there was that it was a thing, sex, you know, and even molestation, like this kind of assaultive sex. I just I wanted all the information I could get. I didn't want to be in the dark anymore.
0: Zoe would spend hours in the library flipping through the dirtiest books she could find.
1: Oh, like the Joy of Sex or the Jacqueline Susan novels or um, this book called The Mating Dance, like bodice ripper type stuff. And often these books have the you know, the juiciest covers, so they weren't that hard to find in the stacks.
0: Around this time, Zoe was hanging out with a friend who had been sexually active. The girl was, was bragging to her about it. And Zoe told this friend about Toshi. It was the first time she'd told anybody. She swore the girl to secrecy. And still, Zoe didn't tell her parents.
1: Well, by the time I was 12, I think I was really wanting to be independent. I was very intoxicated with the idea of independence. So, and what could they have done at that point? I mean, it didn't, honestly, it didn't even occur to me to tell them. When my friend who I confided in suggested I told them, I was just like practically spit on the ground, you know. Um, I guess I didn't want their help or know what help there was to offer or... uh, They could have gotten you counseling. I know. It didn't even occur to me, though. It did not occur to me. Um, And this was in the 80s. I don't know. It's a small, it was a small kind of working class town. Um, I I don't know if counseling was even on my mind as something that people did, you know?
0: In your book, you write about feeling conflicted over whether or not you see yourself as a victim.
1: Can you explain that? You know, I, I have had a good life. My parents have... We're supportive parents. We did not lack for any basic things. Um, you know, the world has been pretty kind to me. I went to, got a good education. So many good things in my life. I'm very aware of how many more obstacles most people have to face. So I I don't want to kind of hog a victim mantle Um or get to, you know, dwell too much on the slights I have endured. Yeah, and and you're
0: talking about it really factually right now. And I just, um, the thing that that I'm not hearing in your
1: voice is like anger about it. Do you have anger about it? Uh, well, it's easier for me to feel anger when I think. Like if I think about it happening to other kids, I get Quickly, like I am right now, I get quickly very emotional. But for some reason, um, I can talk about it happening to me much more easily than I can even think about it happening to other kids.
0: Zoe says she grew up to have a healthy sex life. It's not like she had a string of abusive boyfriends or anything. Sometimes when it felt right, she'd tell a guy that she'd been molested. She said it would just kind of come out. There was another time it just kind of came out. But this one, this one was a bigger deal. When Zoe was 25, she was visiting a relative, a cousin of her dad's. Zoe went to this woman's house for dinner. They had some wine. They gossiped about family. The cousin started asking about Zoe's parents. They'd gotten divorced recently. And Zoe was kind of squirming in her seat, trying not to say too much. And then the cousin started asking about the time that Toshi lived with them.
1: And no one had ever asked me those questions before. And I... Was she fishing? Well, I, you know, we've talked since the books come out, and she says she was not fishing, but I felt like she was at the time. So as she kept asking these questions, finally I just blurted it out.
0: Just blurted it out.
1: Well, he molested me the whole time I was there.
0: And there it was. She had told her secret to someone in her family.
1: I was immediately upset that I had said it.
0: Zoe went home and cried. She actually hadn't cried in years. And this situation with a relative just set her off.
1: I was really, um, I hate to use the word trigger because we use it so often now, but it was a triggering event for me. I was just upset for days or weeks afterwards. I could not contain my emotions. You know, probably because in some ways I am, you know, as you even say, I have a lot of I compartmentalize a lot of this stuff. And I was unable to keep compartmentalizing it at that time. I was crying a lot. And I just, I was worried that she might tell my father.
0: So Zoe's like, okay, I I guess this is happening. I've got to tell my parents before it gets back to them. And remember, they're, they're divorced by now, which means she's got to tell them separately. She decides to tell her dad first, since Toshi's on his side of the family. She calls him up.
1: And he was sort of stunned he didn't have a lot to say. He, he was stunned. He was very upset. He kept saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, he said at one point that he was pissed off, and he doesn't usually use language. You know, I hadn't heard him use that language very often. He, certainly, I felt believed, but it was clear he didn't know what to do with the information. So, hangs
0: up, calls her mom.
1: She was slightly disbelieving at first, not in the way that she called me a liar or anything, but she it was just inconceivable to her that anyone would want to have anything to do sexually with a four- or five-year-old child. She said, would she say something like, well, you wouldn't even have been that attractive <laughs> at that age <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> or something like that. Um.
0: See, well, the, and that too, like you're laughing and you made me laugh, but I'm also like, I'm like a little bit brimming with rage on your behalf for that, you
1: know? Well, I don't want to, um, yeah, except it was very typical. It was so typical of her that it still makes me laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. she She's just always had a lot to say about my appearance and when I was looking good and when I wasn't looking good or whatever. <laughs> so um, she did say something about, My father had always been so nice to him, and this is how he was repaid. You know, even though, I mean, that comment rankled because it was me who suffered the abuse, you know, not my dad. Um, I think it just didn't even occur to her, like, this is a pedophile, you know. And so then what? Like, did they do (laughs) anything? Oh, my goodness. Then nothing. 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 Nothing.
0: Zoe says, you know, it's not like she was expecting them to do anything at this point. And even though their reaction, especially her mom's, might sound jarring, Zoe says they didn't really have any tools to know what to say about something like this. It's not like they'd been given guidelines by Zoe's school or her doctor or or anybody about what to do if your child is sexually abused. So about a year later, after Zoe told her parents about all of this, um, she met the man that she would eventually marry. She told him about the abuse on on their second date. They were kissing, and and just out of the blue, she said it. He asked her if she wanted to stop making out, and she said no. They've been together for 20 years now, and they have two kids. When we come back, Zoe figures out if she's going to tell them about her past. Stay with us. (laughs) We're back with writer Zoe Zolbrod, whose book The Telling is about being molested as a child and how that trauma has impacted her life. Zoe's a mom now, and her two kids are not babies anymore. Her son is 15. Her daughter's eight. So 15 years ago, right after Zoe gave birth to her son, she went to visit her parents, who were both living separately in New Mexico. She was just a few weeks postpartum with a super colicky baby, She and her mom finally got a quiet moment together. They were folding laundry. And Zoe's mom asked her if her father had told her the news about Toshi. Zoe was like, no, dad didn't tell me anything. And her mom said, well, Toshi's in jail for molesting another girl.
1: I was so profoundly affected by hearing this news on so many different levels, especially having just become a parent. Um, Just the thought of this happening to another child was was very painful for me and it immediately made me feel guilty as well as feel sorry for myself in a way that I maybe never quite allowed myself to feel and um guilty why because I just felt like I should have somehow been able to you know my first thing was I should have been able to stop this like I knew I knew he was capable of this and and i you know, I—I I believe me, I know, I mean, I was such a small child, it's not my fault, but that's just how I felt, um, that I had not sent the warning out strongly enough. Although wrapped up in that was some anger, because then I'm like, but wait, you did tell people, you did tell your parents. So, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around.
0: Zoe says the truth is, there's no way to know what would have happened if she had told anyone back then. Maybe nobody would have believed her. Still, she looked up the statute of limitations for her case.
1: And they're vague, and I never talk to a lawyer, because sometimes it's about you have a certain number of years from the date of discovery. Well, mm-hmm. what does the date of discovery mean? Um, or the date of known injury or something? What does that mean? Um,
0: Whatever that meant exactly. Zoe figured it was probably too late to prosecute Toshi for her case. And even if it wasn't too late, it, it just felt like too much tracking down a lawyer, digging up her past. She was a new mom, about to go back to work. She was kind of feeling out of control. But the thing that Zoe felt like she did have some control over was, well, she could be a different kind of parent than her parents were.
1: And it did make me even more explicitly committed to wanting to give my kids a better sexual education. You know, my kids have a lot of say over their bodies and their environments and so forth. More than I did. <laughs> um,
0: your cousin started molesting you when you were four years old. What was it like for you when your daughter turned four?
1: Yeah, that was a hard time, and it was even a little before she turned four. She's very tall. I think she her body often looks older than her age, and um, I felt it. I felt protective of her, and that you know that is probably the time when I kind of let myself or just felt most like a victim myself in a way because I could see how small I was and what a child I was. And it, it, was, um, it, make, it made me so sad. In your
0: book, um, you write about a time that you were at a friend's house and you were meeting her new boyfriend and you had your daughter with you and she was three at the time. Can you tell the story of what happened?
1: Yeah, she um so she wanted to wear her new Halloween costume, a fuzzy bear costume. And then she got hot and took it off. She had little shorts underneath. But she had grown a lot since we got the shorts at the beginning of summer, so they're like short shorts for sure. And she was climbing over a couch and the friend's boyfriend made a comment like, "Whoa. Stop it. I don't want to get arrested." Um you know, so alarm bells just started going off in me. I just didn't even want anyone acknowledging her body could be viewed sexually in any way.
0: I mean, you you write there about just feeling like you were seething, like beneath your smile, like that's yeah. where I feel your rage coming out is when you when you write about um, that moment of of this man like sexualizing your daughter, um, and I think like. There are some like kids that like are all about their bodies and the, and they don't care and their bodies are hanging out and they're shaking their their stuff around. Um, <laughs> and in our adult minds, we sometimes think of certain things as sexual. The children have no idea, um, right? But like, I wonder, uh, having having gone through this experience that you've been through. How do you protect your kids from people who say and do inappropriate things, but also not shame your kids?
1: I think I've done pretty well at the not shaming part. I let my daughter wear mostly what she wants. She experiments with all kinds of ways of moving her body. She's also just a tough girl, and she's just louder about her needs and desires than I was.
0: Zoe says this is the main difference between her and her daughter. In her book, Zoe describes herself as a breathe-through-the-pain kind of person. She's not sure if that comes from the abuse or if it's just her personality. But one thing's for sure, her daughter is not like this at all. Here's a passage from Zoe's book.
1: Our daughter cries with incredible frequency. She cries if her socks are crinkled, because she wants to be carried down the stairs, because her stuffed animal has slipped in amidst the sheets. She cries because she wants some milk, some milk in the blue cup, not that much milk. She cries because she wants pants with pockets, because her shirt won't go on right, because I put her shirt on. One night she cried for half an hour because she surmised that George Washington, about whose dog we read a book, is dead.
0: Now, uh, you you say that you've found yourself thinking, look what happened to me when I was four, and I never cried. Um, right. And so uh, what do you think about the fact that your daughter is a crier?
1: Well, I ultimately think she has these traits that are making it hard for me as a parent and that are going to hopefully serve her well as her own person. Um, And I think, you know, I do think there are ways in which I would have been much better served to have vented some.
0: Zoe clearly felt as a kid that she could not talk about sexual abuse. But now that she has kids, it's a subject she can't avoid. When Zoe's son was in first grade, she got a call from the school about his chess coach.
1: The FBI came to the district, the school district, and showed them some letters this guy had been sending and some photographs he'd been sending to prisoners. That's how they got a hold of them. They weren't um, pornographic photos. They were just photos of the kids playing chess, but there were lewd captions to them and so forth. And so um, the guy was immediately taken off the, you know, roster. Um, I don't know what happened to him after that. We didn't receive any reports. And I had to deal with my son's upset because he loved this guy.
0: Um, Yeah,
1: so what did you tell him? We told him that he had done some bad things to kids. And he was disbelieving. He had been so nice. He would be wailing and sobbing and trying to explain that sometimes adults are nice to kids because they want to do bad things to them and they want to trick them. And you you can't trust people even when they seem nice. And we couldn't take a chance. You know, he really was like, well, why couldn't he at least come back to say goodbye and trying to explain why we... Can't take a chance if we think someone might do bad things to kids. Um, and I felt like it mostly fell on deaf ears. And, you know, I had all these great intentions of being so open about sex and anatomy and sexual abuse. He never wanted to hear it. He was super resistant. And I, I did not use those terms when I talked about that coach.
0: After all that, Zoe so was like, wait, did I blow it? She wished she had been more direct. Maybe she should have just outright told her son what had happened to her.
1: Unfortunately, it happened again with another chess coach a couple years later. My son was older, and I had always felt like I hadn't handled the first time very well. And I did use the second time to talk more explicitly.
0: This coach had invited kids to his hotel room while they were away on a trip. The principal and other teachers thought it was inappropriate, and the guy got fired.
1: So I... I told my son like the the more, those specifics of the story. And I said, adults aren't supposed to be alone with kids in hotel rooms because we worry about sexual abuse. And then I told him and he was, you know, he just so clearly doesn't want to hear it. He gets his face, this like walled off face and he wasn't looking at me and he's usually very communicative and so forth. And I just felt him kind of hiding from the topic. So I told him that it had happened to me. Um, And then what I recounted was not what happened with my cousin because it just seemed too bad and too complicated and too big a deal.
0: Instead, Zoe told her son about another thing that had happened to her.
1: I told him about the time I had been groped in elementary school by a guy who later was caught raping a kid. Wow.
0: Wow. I mean, that's, that's Um, heavy too.
1: Yeah. And it got through to him. I saw, you know, I remember so clearly his face, like meeting my eyes and I mean, it was, I remember it so clearly in part because it was a painful moment of really having to break down his innocence, which of course we also want to carefully preserve. And I think that's the, that's the conflict for many of us when we want to We want to equip our kids to protect themselves, but we don't want to take away their innocence. Zoe stopped
0: just short of telling her son about what happened with Toshi. She wasn't sure if she ever would. She had gotten the message across to him that sexual abuse can happen to kids. It happened to her. And she left it there. Well, for the time being. Don't go away. We're back with author Zoe Zolbrod. Over the years, Zoe has written a lot of stuff. She's written a novel um, and lots of essays for places like Salon, The Chicago Reader, The Rumpus, which she actually also edits. About seven years ago, Zoe started thinking about her own personal story, and she began writing it down. And as she wrote, she realized that her reason for writing was she was trying to make sense of what happened to her when she was four— paragraphs became chapters, chapters became a book. She got a publisher. And when she started picturing this book being out in the world, she realized it would be nearly impossible to not tell her kids what it was about.
1: My son is certainly old enough, you know, I mean, some of his friends are really cool and read books that I read and could feasibly hear about it. And, uh, So I wanted to just address it head on so I didn't feel like, oh, we can't talk about it. The children might hear.
0: So Zoe told her son.
1: I told him I hoped he would not read the book. I said I thought he should wait till he was at least 25 because kids should not have to know about the hard times of their parents. And I said, maybe you'll want to read it when you're 25 or maybe you'll never want to read it. And he said, I don't think I'll ever want to read it, Mom. And I was glad. <laughs> I don't really necessarily want him to read it. Zoe told her daughter separately. She's still only eight, so
0: Zoe didn't mention her cousin. She just kind of told her daughter, you know how we've talked about how nobody is supposed to touch your vulva or your bum? Well, well somebody did that to me once, and it was wrong. Zoe told her that she'd kept this a secret. And that the book was about why she'd kept it a secret and how she realized that it was actually something she didn't want to be a secret anymore. So says her daughter didn't freak out. She actually seems to like being in the know.
1: I was with my daughter in a minivan with some friends of hers, some family friends, and we're all sitting in the back. And the my daughter's friend asked me what my book is about. And I said something like, It's about some hard times I had when I was a kid. And my daughter kind of whispered to me and patted me on the knee and said, I know what it's really about. (laughs) What
0: was that like for you?
1: It was sweet, actually. I mean, on the one hand, of course, I don't want to make my little daughter feel like she has to protect me. But on the other hand, knowing her, I know that she would rather feel herself on that side of things than the side of having something kept from her. Well, but also you
0: you didn't have parental protection and suddenly you have this little child of yours being so protective of you. Like, does that feel profound?
1: Yeah. And my son's response felt a little bit like that too. Like in the case of my son, he doesn't want to know this, but he can handle it. Um, He can handle it, you know, in a really nice way. And my daughter can handle it too. And I guess I was so worried about my parents not being able to handle it. Um, It's been nice to feel that.
0: Zoe published The Telling earlier this year. She's been touring bookstores, doing readings. She says it's been scary to tell her story to strangers, but often people will come up to her and tell her that they've been abused and, and that this book really helped them. So that's cathartic. But then there's this. Now that her secret is out... Zoe's got to confront the fact that a man who was caught on tape bragging about sexually assaulting women is going to be our next president.
1: I felt assaulted that night, November, you know, that night between November 8th and November 9th. I didn't sleep a single wink. I felt physically assaulted uh, for a a huge number of reasons, Um, but that is a very real one to me. In the face of what we're going to see now, I, I can just speak more personally about the fact that my daughter and I were both big Clinton supporters. She went with me canvassing. We went down to headquarters and made signs and buttons. We really thought this was going to happen. And and when she woke up and we had to tell her that Donald Trump won, it was like it's one of the Forget sexual. I mean, it was one of the worst things I've ever had to tell my kids. And it felt like just as big of a punch against innocence as having to tell my son that sometimes adults were nice because they were trying to trick you. Having to have her see this bully take office and that we elected him to office in our democracy was a real low point. So I think, you know, parents all around
0: the world are seeing that, uh, or, and, and children are, are seeing that um, a person can behave this way and, you know, hold the highest office in the land. Um, what should parents know about preventing abuse and creating an environment where their kids feel comfortable to tell them if something has happened?
1: We should continue to explicitly tell our kids that their bodies belong to them, that no one should be touching them except medical people who need to for their health and their parents if it's necessary, that we should ask as much as possible. And we should ask them occasionally if anyone has tried to touch them in that way, because sometimes what they need is an invitation to tell. It might not occur to them to tell. And that's pre and post Donald Trump's election.
0: As Zoe wrote her book, she did a lot of research on sexual abuse, and she found several sources stating that kids who have been abused are often less traumatized when they've been well-informed about what abuse is. And then on top of that, um, that education can help prevent them from being abused in the first place. Zoe says, of course, it's also important to help kids understand that if something does happen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with them.
1: I think I felt that myself at times, that it made me gross, and talking about it was gross, and that's perhaps part of what kept me quiet, and keeping quiet is most often, although not in every case, not the best thing to do. It's not going to help us reduce the occurrence. If we take away some of the stigma, we're we're doing our kids a favor, um, They're going to, if not themselves, they're going to know someone who is sexually abused. And we don't don't do anything good by hiding from that.
0: While Zoe knows from her research that it's important to educate kids about predators, she's also wary of overprotecting them or, or scaring them. Here she is reading from her book about the first time that her daughter asked Zoe and her husband if she could go play outside by herself.
1: Anthony and I confer in a few mumbled sentences. Okay, we say, but before you go out, we want to remind you about stranger danger. We tell her not to talk to anyone she doesn't know, not to get in a car with anyone, that if anyone stops and approaches her, she's to yell loudly. Almost never happens is not the same thing as never happens, after all. But we don't want to organize our life around that. She decides to stay on the front porch instead. And I feel both glad and sad. I probably handled that all wrong. But look at her. So tall. So strong. So sure. So wary. She has a mean death glare. She has a lot of confidence. She has a will of iron. My baby bird. My baby bear. My little wolf cub. We might give each other a hard time. But in the world, I think she's going to be okay. Zoe Zolbrad's memoir
0: is The Telling. Her cousin is no longer in prison and is on the sex offender registry. Zoe gave us a list of some really great resources for sexual abuse survivors and for parents. We have those on our website, LongestShortestTime.com. And while you're there, let us know how you talk to your kids about sexual abuse. How did your parents talk to you? I bet there are some differences there. Leave your comment at LongestShortestTime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 106. This podcast is produced by me, Hillary Frank, with Abigail Keel and Kristen Clark. Welcome, Kristen. This is our first episode with us. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Carum and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Special thanks this week to Katie Clarkson for recording Zoe's side of the conversation. Next week. I'm following up with a woman who you might remember from our show. Her name's Erin Breen. She's the woman who was not able to sing karaoke anymore after becoming a mom.
1: I mean, I'm never, I don't want to like give anybody the impression that I was this great singer who <laughs> was like starring in musicals or something
0: we'll have a new surprise from Aaron. Don't miss it. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you wanna catch that show early, subscribe to our newsletter. Just go to our homepage and enter your name in the little box there and we will send you a secret link to the show. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. We wanna hear stories about your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents. We obviously are not afraid of the tough stuff. We also like the funny stuff. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story.
1: Stand up. You sing Your Wolf? Yeah. <laughs> This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.